0: Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes, more brew, more flavor, less time, less ukulele. Uh On this episode, while we're dodging around Denny's ukulele, it's happy holidays, y'all. We do hope that you've been having a good time with friends and family, but New Year's is right around the corner. And with New Year's means the dreaded New Year's resolution.
1: Oh, God, I hate that. I
0: don't know, but I think the most common one I always hear year in and year out, and probably one of the most common ones I make year in and year out, is I'm going to brew more this year. Oh, man, that's that's my standard. Every year, that's
1: exactly what I say.
0: And, of course, it's also the resolution we fail at the most.
1: Yeah, and every year I fail at that one.
0: (laughs) So on this episode, what we want to actually dig into is What actually keeps us from brewing,
1: and how do we fight it? So, let's discuss. But before we do that, take a listen to these words from our sponsors... The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making homebrewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks Hard Seltzer Yeast and Nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks Hard Seltzer Recipe Kits, which are for to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Get ready... Saturday, May 7th is the American Homebrewers Association 25th Big Brew for National Homebrew Day. Visit homebrewersassociation.org experimental to download the official recipes, the Community American Lager and Dark Inception Imperial Porter. Find a homebrew supply shop and dust off your homebrewing skills with how-to videos. Plus, you'll get a promo code for $5 off an annual American Homebrewers Association membership when you make the Big Brew Pledge. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental to get $5 off when you make the Big Brew Pledge by May 9th, 2022.
0: Welcome back, and thank you for listening to those messages from our fine, fine sponsors. Don't forget, whenever you interact with them, tell them that you heard about them here on Experimental Brewing and The Brew Files to let them know that they're spending their money well. Like we said, it is the New Year period of time. We hope that you guys have been having a great time. And, of course, as we said, this means it's New Year's resolutions time, and well, we'll get into more of those later. But at some point, I think this is very common, uh, I think the standard sort of way that most of us serious brewers, you know, the people who are, you know, going to go listen to brewing podcasts and go to conferences and and read articles, we all are super obsessed with this hobby. You know, we jump in both feet, you know, and hit the ground running, brew 20 batches in the in the first year and I know when I started, I brewed my first six batches of beer I think within a month and a half.
1: Yeah, and I brewed more like 30 batches a year for the first few years. Now, at some point though, that kind
0: of stops. I, you know, I don't know if it's you run out of time, you have too much beer on hand, too much family, too much moving, too much life, take your pick. But something happens and you stop brewing and you may or may not be burned out or you may have, you know, sort of the desire to brew, but you still stop brewing. And, you know, really once you stop, we know, you know, if you remember your physics lessons, Inertia, inertia becomes the killer, because now you got to get over that inertial hump and get back to doing what you need to do in order to be
1: brewing. You know that's a good point, but I don't know if that's always true. A a lot of times when I'm haven't brewed for a while, it just makes me want to brew all that much more, as opposed to uh, going, oh, just screw it, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. So I, you know, I I think that you you have a good point, but it can go either way, also.
0: As with most things in life. Yeah. I mean, for me, I always, <laughs> yeah, true for me, I always get to the point where I'm like, oh, I need to go brew. Oh, I need to go brew. It, it, in some ways, it's almost like the same discouraging voice that you hear when you say, I got to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. I need to go on the treadmill. You keep building up and it becomes, you know, way too much of a deal. I,
1: I, exactly. Man, the saying, saying I need to brew is almost an impediment to brewing. Uh, it, it should be, I want to brew. Yep.
0: Now, Danny, you've dealt with this, right? I mean, you've you've dealt with times when you just haven't been able to brew and haven't been able to get get out there and do what you what you feel like you want to.
1: Yeah, I have. I'm going through that right now. Um, Mainly, it's a question of time or physical limitations, which is what I'm dealing with right now. Fortunately, that's about over. Very seldom has it been. uh, Geez, I just don't feel like it. Um, And when when I do get that feeling. I go with it, man. It's like, okay, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to do it. It's a hobby. You're not forced into brewing. Uh, if I wanted to be forced into brewing, I'd go be a commercial brewer. And <laughs> that's one of the reasons that I'm not. If it's, if it's not like a, a thing of time, uh, that is keeping me from brewing, I just kind of sit back and wait until I get the urge again because I know it's going to come around.
0: I largely get stymied on time and sense of organization and, you know, whether or not I can, you know, get into the brew and get back out. And uh, so for me, like, there are so many times when I brew in mad rushes and mad cycles. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like for a month out of the year, I'll brew like 10 batches of beer because I've got a festival coming up and, you know, I've got to bring beer to the festival. So... That happens to me all the time, and you know, it's like <laughs> that's enough to get me over the inertial hump. But it still is there. But now, as Dan was saying, you know, you don't have to brew if you don't want to brew. Because I, I know a lot of people are, you know, at least in the generation of homebrewers that we're in, are obsessed with this idea of like, well, I'm a homebrewer. Homebrewing is what I do. You know, it's my identity. A lot of people will get into this situation of like, well, am I still a homebrewer if I'm not brewing actively right now? And here's my first rule: you are still a homebrewer if you can close your eyes visualize a beer, see the ingredients, see how you'd brew that beer. But you can be like a number of Catholics I know, including myself. You can be a lapsed brewer.
1: Yeah, I I think that the thing is, you know, do you want to brew at some point, (laughs) whether it's like right away or not, as long as you do, you're still a home brewer. Now, let's get down to the business
0: of solving... Call it burnout, call it inertial blockers, you know, call it whatever you want. Let's call it what's keeping you out of the brewery. There you go. We're going to go through a couple of steps here, right? You know, it's time to put on our therapist hat and, you know, sit down at the bar and I'll be the bartender and and we can talk therapy. Because to me, the first thing that you have to do when you're dealing with this sort of issue is identify why do you brew? What is the most important thing about brewing to you? Now, we talk about some of this in Homebrew All-Stars where, you know, we set up that whole thing of all the different archetypes. But those archetypes are really, you know, it's like, hey, why do you brew? And yeah, to to start with, we know that the beer is a big motivator. You know, we all like the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, we can pour something into a cold, frosty glass and enjoy one that we made ourselves. It's our beer. It's much better than a birdhouse. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I put them about equal. Until you get to the 20th birdhouse you built, sure. Yeah, right. It's, uh, of course. So why do you brew? Some people brew because of the money. You want fancy beers, but you may not have a lot of dosh. A fellow Falcon of mine, Craig Chaplin, who I'm going to have up on the show at one point in time to talk about his triple IPA. He, he talks about how it takes $60 for him to brew a batch of his triple IPA that if you were buying it commercially would be closer to about $1,300. And so for him, he sees a real kind of cost savings and real cost motivative motivator to keep doing that. Most of us, I don't think, are have that same drive, but some people do. And you know, if that's if that's your drive, it's a perfectly valid drive.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like I can I can make a Belgian dark strong like like Rochefort for a, a fraction of what it costs me to go buy, and it's you know maybe not quite as good, but it's in the ballpark. But that's not why I do it. It isn't for the money. It's because I like the fact that I made that beer that is really good and kind of like a really great
0: beer. Well, and then that brings us to the to the next identifier. Do you like to brew because of just well, the process? Do you like – yeah, you know, the, the, the brew day, the, the steaming water, the, the grains, the, the smell of the, of your garage or your brewery after you've milled the grain and all that grain dust is in the air or the smell of the hops hitting the water. Yeah. You know, is that what you really like? I mean, I know for me, there's, a, there's that certain moment. I, I know I'm going to mill my grain and at some point I'm going to sneeze because of the grain <laughs> and I kind of like it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I got to say, man, the process is really it for me. I think that that's really the reason why I brew. I enjoy setting a goal and seeing how close I can come to it, which is one of the reasons I don't just like to spontaneous throw them together recipes and stuff like that. You know, uh, f- for me, the, the fun part is being able to do what I set out to do.
0: So that's if you're uh, a process geek. I mean, like I said, I like brewing, but at the same time, I'm one of those guys where, you know, mine's a little bit different. And, you know, I'm all about the kind of the recipe. I like the culinary aspect of it. I like the creation because in a lot of ways, brewing to me is cooking. And I've always found that one of the weird things for me with cooking is every time I cook a meal, by the time I get to the end of the meal, I'm no longer as hungry to eat as I would have been <laughs> if I just bought something. Um, but with brewing for me, I like The envisioning process. I like the ability to be able to close my eyes and go, you know what? I want to make an IPA that tastes like X, Y, and Z, or I want to make a marshmallow fluff beer or a clam chowder saison or the world's best mild. I like that part. If somebody actually gave me a way to take the output of my brain directly into a glass fully formed, I'm not sure I would bother with the rest of the brewing part, but that's me. That's my identification for why I brew. There are some other people out there who they're all about the gear. Shiny new toys, maybe a new toy motivates you, a conical fermenter, a new brew system or going all electric. I will say as a warning, because I've seen this happen more than once, if you find yourself in one of these sort of inertial low points where your motivation is down or your ability to get into the brewery is down, don't go embarking on building a new system, a new brew stand. I I, I swear for <laughs> 95% of the people who do this, I've watched this happen like, oh yeah, I'm brewing a, a brand new brew rig. I'm making an electric brewery. It's going to be 15 gallons. It's going to be awesome. And it takes them a year. And by the time they've gotten through to the other side of it, they just don't have the interest in brewing anymore. And they're like, eh, I don't brew anymore. And they've just spent all that time and money building up a system that they're no longer going to use.
1: That's sad. Yeah. And for me, it's like I hate dealing with equipment anyway, so I guess I don't have to worry about that one.
0: That's true. And of course, our final potential motivator, you know, what actually motivates you to brew? The cleaning. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. I love cleaning so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just kidding. Nobody likes the cleaning. These are a couple of the main reasons I can think that you can identify why you brew. Yeah, either it's because of the money or it's because you enjoy the process. You enjoy actually coming up with the recipe and, you know, kind of doing that whole envisioning culinary process. Maybe you do it because you like the gear. What other reasons are there? Denny, do you, can you think of any other identifiers for why people would brew?
1: You know, I'm sure that there are, but uh, nothing comes to mind. I think that that pretty much covers everything that uh, that I can think of.
0: All right. Well, and listeners, if there's something that we missed there, don't forget, you can always drop us an email at podcast at experimentalbrew.com and let us know because, well, I'm going to turn this into an article so that we have, you know, a more complete approach. <laughs> we'll see. Once we've identified why you like to brew, the next step is to identify what is the cause that is keeping you from brewing. What is, what is kind of burning you out or blocking you from, from being a, a brewer in the way that you're envisioning yourself? One of those could actually be how you're identifying yourself. Maybe you are maybe you have this notion in your head of like you've got to be the perfect Germanic brewer or you've got to have the perfect commercial style process. And the reality is that that's just too much weight to put on your shoulders as a hobbyist brewer. So maybe you need to step back and take a look at that. Maybe it's the time, as we as we said before. You know, there's lots of things that can keep you out of the brewery, particularly in time wise. You know, young children, you know, demanding your attention. Families demanding your attention. Maybe your work is demanding your attention. Maybe you just can't spend you know six hours in the brewery, fussing around and, and making a batch of beer. There's also money concerns. Maybe uh, you're you finding yourself in a a rather shallow spot in the bank account. Uh, we'll have some suggestions for how how to combat that. Is it boredom? You know, I've known some people who get to the point in time, and, and to me, boredom is what I really kind of think of as true burnout. Boredom where you just you you look at an, either something about the process isn't any fun for you anymore, or dealing with all the cleaning's not fun, or you just you just find yourself out of ideas. That to me is the textbook definition of burnout. And that's a classic thing for keeping you out of the brewery. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Other one that I've also seen a lot of people, you know, in our society have been, you know, sort of grown up to and raised to be sort of goal oriented type A drive forward, take that ridge, cross that, across uh, that river, make more money or get promotion. A lot of us are very goal driven and homebrewing as a matter of course is a somewhat dissolute hobby. You know, it's a it's a hobby of we're having fun to do X, Y, and Z. And maybe maybe your problem is you just don't have a clear goal that's going to keep you motivating once you're actually at that point in time where you're like, I know how to brew. I've learned all these techniques. I've perfected this recipe, etc. So maybe now it's time to identify a new goal. The last one is is it disappointment in your beer quality? Now I've known a few people who've done this where they have gone and brewed, 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 brewed. I've made twenty batches, and they've never been satisfied at the end of the day with the batch of beer that they made. And they just get to the end of it, and they're like, "Ah, chuck it. Uh, why? Why am I going to take six hours of my time, plus you know a couple more hours, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks to go make something I'm just not going to be happy with?" Is that your problem? Or is it just, are we back to that inertia question?
1: Yeah, you know, I I do see a fair amount of that online. People going, you know, I've been trying to brew for two years, and every batch of beer I made sucks. I'm quitting. And certainly that's a, a valid response to that. But maybe you also would want to try to figure out what's going on, see if you can get at least one good batch in before you quit. Don't give up. Don't give up. Not yet. <laughs> one of us, one
0: of us. You can't be one of us if you stop brewing. Denny, any other causes that you can think of?
1: Now, uh, yeah, uh, let me see, kids, boredom, family, and it's that's all time stuff. So no, I, I think that you probably got it covered there, man.
0: So tell us, is there something else novel that we have not thought of here? You know, is there another reason to step away? By the way, sometimes it may just be that you feel like you've accomplished everything that you wanted to accomplish as a brewer. And if that's the case, congratulations, you're now ready to graduate on to your next thing. And I say that because I've known some people who are serial hobbyists. You know, they're, they're monogamous to their hobby. And then once they accomplish everything that they want to do in a hobby, they just walk away and find the next hobby. Third leg of all therapeutic uh, treatment is to, you know, after you identify the problem and you identify the root cause of the problem, now it's time to put a therapeutic plan in action about how to actually fight the problem. Are you ready to fight? Are you ready? <laughs>
1: do you care enough to fight?
0: Are you ready to try and charge those barriers that are keeping you from brewing? If so, let's tackle it right now. very first thing is I think we have to acknowledge, if you find yourself in this situation, it's okay to take a break.
1: Right. You don't have to brew, you know? This is a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be something you want to do. If you are feeling like you have to force yourself to go brew, you Probably shouldn't be brewing.
0: As I like to say, you know, since I live here in California and it's very zen in so many ways, not really. Just acknowledge the break. Have a beer. Breathe in. Breathe out. Relax and go about your day. You know, maybe do some reading. Do, do something to kind of keep your your feet in the hobby, but don't worry about it. Your brew kettles will be waiting for you.
1: And I've, I've known a people who took a 10 or 20-year break from brewing uh, while their kids were growing up. And then got back into it again because they enjoyed it. They just couldn't do it uh, right then. And one one cool thing about that is that almost always they're going, wow, there's so much that's different. And that could be a real incentive to start brewing again because, you know, if you're taking a, a 10 or 20-year break, everything will have changed by the time you get back. And that can be real exciting.
0: Yeah, which, of course, is crazy given the fact that the fundamentals of beer brewing haven't changed in millennia. Let's say that you've acknowledged the break and that you're ready to come back in. Let's take a look at those causes and how we can address them. The classic one that I think swallows most brewers, you know, willingness or ability to be able to brew is the time question. For a great, great many of us, we can't spend multiple hours dedicated around a brew kettle for all sorts of various reasons. If you think it's a time problem, You know, you just literally can't spare the time on a brew day to make a complete brew day. This is the perfect time to go take a look at your process. Take a hard look at the different steps that you're doing and think about what's necessary and what's not necessary and how you can shave time out of different areas. Some examples, use uh, dry yeast. Get away from making the starters. You, you go you go and spend some time using dry yeast. The quality has certainly improved over the last decade or so. And so, you know, you can make lots of really good beer just using dry yeast. There are a lot of brewers that never move off of dry yeast. So go use dry yeast to save yourself some time there. Consider doing an extract batch. We've talked in the past about extract being perfectly good.
1: Yeah, I was going to say for all you people out there who are snickering when Drew said that, Shut up. You can make really, really good beer with extract. Uh, and it's really quick and easy to do. Yeah.
0: And if you want extract uh, tips, go back and look. I think it's Brew Files episode five with uh, Jay Ankeny, all about making better beer with extract. And Jay has never stopped brewing with extract. And you know what? He makes perfectly, perfectly good beer.
1: Yeah. I've, I've judged in competitions where an extract beer went best of show. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't because we knew it was an extract beer and picked it, it was because it was a damn good beer.
0: Other things to look at. Uh, maybe you don't want to do extract. What about small batch? Uh, we, we've just written up some rules for this for the new book, but small batch, you could have knocked me over with a feather when you told me that people would, if you told me that people were going to, you know, want to do one to three gallon batches of beer. Because for Danny and I growing up as brewers, it was always, why would you make anything less than five gallons? It takes the same amount of time. Truthfully, no, it doesn't. You know, you can shave some time off by doing small batches and also just the sheer reiteration of brewing, you know, the, the sheer chance to brew more, I think will actually help reignite your passion as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the, in the new book, Simple Home Brewing out this March, um, I talk about, uh, my method for doing a three gallon batch with a 20 minute mash and a 20 minute boil. And you can get a three gallon all grain batch done in just a couple hours that way.
0: And tied into small batch. Some of the thoughts may be to change some of how you brew. Like uh, these days, uh, the brew in the bag is very, very popular and brew in the bag, you know, can help simplify, you know, your whole brewing process just by the fact that you're now down to one pot as opposed to multiple pots and, and coolers and the rest. And by the way, we also think a uh, brew in a bag works really well with small batch. Yep. So <laughs> other thoughts is if you don't want to necessarily, you know, sacrifice, you know, the, the volume, go and look at like some of these new all-in-one type systems that have appeared on the market. So uh, Danny and I both have uh grandfather's, and those are excellent systems.
1: And I've got a mash and boil also. And I mean, there are just new ones popping up every day. I, I've been contacted by several manufacturers who have new all-in-one systems in the works. Uh, so, you know, consider those. Beauty of those things, and we'll also include
0: like the Pico's and the, you know, the Pico-Z and the Pico-C And this. You know, the beauty of those things is, you know, once you start to add some automation, the brewing process may take the same amount of time, but the amount of time that you have to actively be there watching over things, you know, drops dramatically. So if your problem is that you have to be in a position to be able to help, you know, say, take care of the kids or cook a, cook a meal or do chores or, you know, what have you, you can still do it and the beer is still being made. Yeah. And for anybody who says that automation means that you're not a real brewer, go look at any of your large scale uh, systems <laughs> like Sierra Nevada.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to say, man. Go to Sierra Nevada. See if you get see guys there manually stirring the mash tun and, All that kind of stuff. Uh, Another
0: thought about how to save some time or at least, you know, make the time maybe more convenient is to actually split your brew day or change around when you're brewing. So like in terms of splitting your brew day, there are ways that you can mash at night and pull off the wort and put that in a kettle and come back the next morning and boil it and start again. So now you've split your brew time into maybe a more convenient window, you know, for everything else that you have to do in your life. If you're me, you could just go and do what I always used to do when I was really heavily brewing, which is I would start brewing at night and just not sleep until I was done, <laughs>
1: yeah, but not everybody's as crazy as you are.
0: There are very few people whose body clocks are as fundamentally broken as mine is. Uh, but no, i mean i i would I would brew a five and a half gallon batch of beer on my stove. I would start it at like seven o'clock at night, and I would wrap up at twelve thirty one o'clock and everything was hunky- dory, and that time worked for me. Other thing is if you're still bottling, go and invest in some kegs. Seriously. Because bottling's a pain in the butt, and it keeps you from brewing because it holds beer in your carboys and takes up room, and who wants to bottle?
1: Yeah, um, well, uh, there are a lot of people who do like to bottle, or, or at least there's a significant number of people who like to bottle, as crazy as that seems to us. But if you're really interested in saving time and making things easier to uh, give your brewing a little kick in the butt, uh, there is nothing like kegging to save you time and energy that you can invest in something else.
0: Any other time saving techniques that you can think of, Denny?
1: Uh, hire somebody to brew the beer for you. Uh,
0: yes, you no. could do that. <laughs> but that would, that would seem to kind of defeat the purpose. Yes, it would, wouldn't it? Here's the thing. I, there there are tons of other ways to optimize your process, you know, save time, shave off corners. Denny alluded to the 20 minute batch uh, idea, you know, the Blue Ossery folks have the short and shoddy series. You know, there's lots of ways for you to just kind of, you know, Push a beer out there so that you got beer brewing.
1: And I would like to to say, uh, just in reaction to the short and shoddy, I call mine quick and quality.
0: Very nice. There is a fine-grained point here, and I'm going to make this. uh, You can get bogged down in Optimization Hill. And if you get bogged down in optimization hell, you'll never actually optimize and brew. You know, one of my jobs in the real world is to be an agile evangelist. The whole idea is you should be reiterating, improving your process as you go, but you still need to keep delivering. It really comes down to uh, that Voltaire wrote, and he wrote it in French, but I'm not even going to (laughs) try. Thank you. Perfect is the enemy of good. And what that means is if you fret over getting your stuff perfectly streamlined you're never going to start your brew day. Look at the look at what you can do for time savings, but don't try and nail in the perfect process before you actually go there. I mean, remember, it took NASA how many rockets before we got to the moon? <laughs> Way too many. Next uh, impediment to brewing is money. We all know it, money's tight, and, and maybe you got, yeah, particularly around Christmas. So this one's tough, but my answer to it is to prioritize and go bulk. And I'm saying this is the guy who just had to deal with uh, rats attacking his grain supply. Talk to your local homebrew supply uh, store or your local brewery and see if they won't, you know, sell you some bulk grain at a cheaper rate. Or if like a lot of local homebrew supply shops have like a grain card, for instance, where you can pay for the price of a bulk bag of grain, you know, 50 pound sack. But they'll hold on to it and you just reclaim it in certain lots. You know, every time you go into the into the brew shop, you can go, Oh, I'm gonna take another ten pounds of the grain, and they'll mark it off. But the point is, get yourself into some bulk buying, particularly with you know grain, uh hops also as well. You know, you can go look at you know Yakima Valley hops or you know, a couple of the other you know, hops direct or other online hop stores, and you can actually get a really good deal on you know sort of bulk hop uh, purchases. And by bulk, I mean a pound. Every year I buy a pound of Magnum and a pound of Warrior. And guess what? That pretty much serves a good portion of my, my bittering needs for the year. And it's just a nice way to do it because I've got it on hand. By the way, the other thing that's key about this uh, uh, bulk savings idea is if you have the ingredients on hand, it makes it easier for you to get your brew day on. We also have to say, don't forget that you can reuse your yeast. We're not fans of uh, yeast washing. Uh, we think it's an un- unnecessary step that adds too much risk for contamination. But reuse your yeast by all means because that's a that's another big savings. Any other uh, ideas for? Saving money?
1: I think that you have the really good ones there. Uh, Buying in bulk if you have a place to store it, Uh, reusing yeast is a big one. Uh, Not only does reusing yeast save you money, but it just makes things that much easier because you don't need to worry about making a starter generally. You can just pull out some slurry and you're ready to go.
0: Not to mention the fact that uh, dirty little secret about the yeast and brewing industry is that almost all of our yeast cultures tend to get better fermentation results as they've had a couple of generations of growth in your brewery. Uh, yeah, I know most commercial breweries like for instance, the uh, 1056, a lot of commercial breweries will talk about the fact that it doesn't seem to really hit its stride until it's on seventh its three pitch
1: Ooh, seven.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'm not going to push it that far in my home brewery, but you got the idea.
1: Uh, yeah. And I generally like 1450 better the second or third time around too. The
0: real point is though with enough care and enough bulk buying You'd be surprised at how astonishingly cheap you can make a very simple beer. And you'll see this if you go on some of the homebrew forums and you'll see people talking about, oh, yeah, no, I've got my beer cost down to 12 cents a pint. I'm not so much a fan of doing that sort of calculation, but it's, it is true that like, once you have your gear, if you're just looking at your ingredient costs, you can make a simple beer for very little money. Now on to one of the big killers, boredom. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, I was always told if you're bored, that's because you're boring, but I don't buy that here in this particular case because this one, it's it's easy to have happen. You know, I mean, if you stop and you think about the brewing process, once you've got the basics down, the brewing process is fairly mechanical. Go and heat up your water, go get this mashed in, you know, do this, You do your water, however you do your water, go into the boil kettle, et cetera, et cetera. It's, It's relatively... Easy to pull off once you understand the tango, right? It would be very easy for somebody to just sort of get a rope process in place and then kind of just get bored by what they're doing. So here's the, here's the trick. How do you get inspired? And I got a couple ideas here. So read, listen. And watch more about beer. Obviously, you're listening to a beer podcast and you guys know there are a thousand and one beer podcasts out there. So, you know, go watch those, go uh, catch up on some of the YouTubers who are out there uh, making beer videos or, hey, you know, go buy a new book like Simple Homebrewing coming out in, you know, 2019. And by the way, it doesn't have to just be about beer. Uh, go, uh, go watch some stuff about food or read some stuff about food or history, you know, even if it's not brewing history, you know, like even reading about culinary history can spark interesting ideas that you may want to try. Another one is also in the getting inspiration categories to go read recipes. There are millions of recipes available to you online. I'm not a huge advocate of actually going and taking somebody's recipe and just brewing it blind. I know Denny likes people to brew his recipes just the way he wrote them because they're perfect.
1: Well, they're perfect for me. And how are you going to know what you want to change until you know what's there? But the real reason why I like to read recipes is because I usually have two responses.
0: One of which is, huh, okay, that's neat. And, huh, why are you doing that? (laughs) And usually I find that the, uh, why are you doing that is the one that actually kicks my butt into gear and makes me go do something. Uh, I don't know. call it a contrarian streak. And then of course the fun one I think is drink some more and think some more about the flavors that you're experiencing. Don't just mindlessly drink, right? We've talked about intentional drinking in the past on the podcast. Is there a new style that's out there? Like, you know, this past year we had brute IPA rise up and suddenly that inspired a bunch of people to go make Brut IPAs and their variations. I've, I've totally stolen ideas from breweries and gone and made it my own. That's the key part. Stolen the idea and then made it my own because, you know, good artists steal. I will say there is something that you do have to be careful about. If you have access to really good liquor stores, you may just find that it's Far more appealing to you to just go pick up a, a pack of Plenty of the Elder or pick your local beer of choice. And and then you the whole question about brewing becomes, well, yeah, but I can just go over to the
1: corner liquor store and go pick up Plenty. Why am I going to brew? Sometimes it can be an impediment to brewing if you can just go buy the beer. And sometimes, like Drew was saying, it can be a real inspiration to get you brewing when you sit there and go, hmm, how did they do this? Can I pull it off?
0: Along those same lines, go to a beer festival. Don't get too drunk. Yeah. But go to go to a beer festival, take some notes. Yeah, and I'm I'm not advocating being the guy who's wandering around ticking off every beer that you've that you've had. I'm I'm saying look at look at some of the beers that you're having and, and take notes about what it's making you think. And then lastly, meet some fellow brewers. You you guys know that we're both advocates of homebrew clubs and homebrew club meetings, but going to a homebrew club meeting, going to a homebrew party, it can be a damn fine reminder of why you like to brew. And you can also glom onto other people's ideas, see what they're doing, say, well, that's a great idea, but I think I can do it better. Denny, any thoughts on boredom?
1: If, it's, if you're really bored with the whole thing, wait for it to pass. You know, there's nothing that says you have to go out there and brew if you don't feel like it. Sit there, read, drink, think, and eventually it too will pass.
0: One hopes. But like I said, I'm type A. I try and drive to a solution. (laughs) And speaking of type A's, purpose. How do you find a purpose about brewing? This is, you know, this is the easy one to me. Like I said, again, I'm kind of type A, so I do this just natively in my head. Set a goal. Set a goal, get something that will make you brew. So a lot of folks out there will do this with competitions. Like I want to I want to have, you know, three absolutely stellar entries to go into the first round of the national homebrew competition. And then some people go even further, like, I want to get all three of my entries or four entries into the second round. Good luck. So some homebrew clubs have like homebrew club circuits or, you know, maybe a pro-am competition. So some people set goals with the competition to say, I'm going to go do this and, you know, win. And if that works for you, bully. Uh, other people will do things like setting a calendar or you know some sort of timing metric, right? So they're Or they're going to say, I'm going to have people over on XYZ date and we're going to brew. And this one's actually a really great motivator because there's absolutely nothing like setting a public date and having people say, hey, I'm coming over to your house and having to deal with the shame of possibly canceling because you screwed up.
1: Uh, yeah, just, just make sure that it's something you really want to do and you're not forcing yourself into it. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get there in a second.
0: And then of course, my, my favorite and the one I alluded to in the beginning was, uh, I've got a party coming up in May and I need two kegs of beer to bring to it. That works really well too. Now, as Denny was saying, you know, here's the thing is that you've got to keep your goals realistic and ideally simple. Also, it really helps, you know, putting my manager's hat on that they'd be really measurable, you know, so that you can see that you're making progress towards your goal. If you make a super complex goal, my fear is that you're just setting yourself up for failure and setting yourself up for failure is just going to backslide you right into the ennui that you're dealing with or the blockage that you're dealing with. To me, you know, it's just like weight loss. You're not going to lose everything overnight. You want to set simple goals like I want to set I want to lose 10 pounds And that helps keep you going. So do the same thing with your brew day goals. You know, don't uh, don't go. I'm going to make you know a batch of beer every week for the next you know six months. Because at some point in time, something's going to happen, and you're going to fail. And if you're actually really fighting problems, you know, with your motivations for brewing or for your your feelings about brewing, set yourself up for failure is just going to you know do you a disservice in the long term.
1: Yeah, that is definitely definitely true. And then how do you deal
0: with inertia? The disappointment in your beer quality and just other general things that are keeping you from brewing. As I said, inertia is the hobby killer. We've all been in those kind of uh, great flow zones. You know, I'm in the flow where you just, yeah, you feel like everything that's coming your way, you're handling it and you're dealing with it and you're just take a pick my day job was as a computer programmer so sometimes i'd hit that flow and next thing you know I was, I was banging out function after function you know feature after feature life was good for that you know period of time when i was right there but just like human beings can get into the flow we can also get into the doldrums really it's the reverse situation where no matter what we seem kind of trapped big one for me and we actually talked about this almost exactly a year ago from when this episode is releasing episode 26 Uh, which was actually 364 days from the time this was released, dives into how we both organize our brew spaces. Because to me, organization is incredibly helpful for removing that sort of, "Eh, I don't want to go out to the brewery because then I got to go clean stuff, you know, excuse that keeps you from brewing.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely true. And I'm glad you mentioned the clean, too, because having the brewery cleaned and organized is a real incentive to just go out there and brew because, you know, you're going to get to do the fun stuff because you've already done the work part. If your brew day has to start with a bunch of scrubbing, that's no fun and
0: that's very easy for you to go oh, never mind I'll just go do the grocery shopping.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. So, uh keep it clean, keep it organized, and that'll just make it easier for you to just walk out there and start brewing again.
0: We know that we joked about cleaning earlier, but it's really true. It greases the skids. And back to process, figure out the best way to split your brew day into easily executable chunks. And that can be spread out in lots of different ways. So, you know, Get your water set up the night before. Yeah. Get your fermenters cleaned, you know, the week before. Get everything sort of set so that the only thing you have to do when it's time for your brew day is to walk out to your brew setup and flip a switch, fire up a kettle, whatever get ready to go.
1: You and I are are lucky in that we both have like dedicated spaces for brewing. So we have our equipment pretty much ready to go all the time. Uh, If you have to like pull yours out of storage and go through setting it up and everything, break it down into steps and see what you can do ahead of time. If you're brewing in your uh, kitchen, for instance, think about what you can get out and get ready that isn't going to interfere with the rest of your life in the meantime.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, on the back side of it, there is the idea of like hey you know clean everything as you go so that you know you're ready to go for that next brew day we will give you dispensation or at least i'll give you dispensation for cleaning your boil kettle the next day if you if you're really feeling low on energy by the time you get down to things cuz that's another step that can be split out into another day. Just don't do it with a mash tun.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know. If it's only a day, it's not going to be a big deal in your mash tun either. But yeah, when I was working, I would make sure that everything was cleaned up. But now, if I know that I have the next day free, I'll just let my brew kettle sit with water in it overnight and go out there the next day, and it's super easy to clean.
0: And by the way, this is also where we would uh, generally like to reiterate, don't drink while brewing, at least not towards the very end.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, again, you know, it's, a, it's a personal decision, but we have both found that uh, our brew day goes a lot smoother and more easily if we don't drink until we're done or nearly done brewing. Uh, I find that I just hate doing the cleanup if I've had a couple beers first. So my, my method is to start early, finish early, and then drink.
0: And then, of course, this does bring us into what I think is going to be the final point that we talk about here, which is, let's face it, There is no greater cure to the brewing blues than to actually go and brew. So if you have it in your heart, making a batch of beer does more to reignite your love of brewing and your passion for this than anything else. All the other stuff that we've been talking about so far in this episode is all about getting you to this point. Here's here's the thing. There are two divergent thoughts on how to actually do this. You know, the one is if you're if you feel like you're uninspired or that you've been bored by the process or by the recipes that you've been using is to go and brew something completely new to you, you know, do something completely brand new. You know, if you want for whatever odd reason to do a decoction, go do a decoction. If you you want to try to make a brewed IPA, go make that brewed IPA. If it's the thing that will get you back into the brewery, perfect, go forth and do it. For me, my problem is not usually that. My problem is usually just one of like getting over the hump of getting back into the process and doing it. So I will almost always go and not change my process because I've got it so wired in. Instead, I'll do something I've done a thousand and one times before. I'll go make my my experimental saison. I'll go make a mild. I'll go make a cream ale. I'll go make something that I know and trust. Because in some ways, I want that rote nature when I'm in this sort of mood. Because I just want it to be like I'm gliding along on butter the whole day.
1: You know, I... I'm the kind of guy who tends to fall back on the same recipes over and over again and I don't see that as necessarily easier. I see it as something that I know how it's going to turn out. Um when I do something new, it's mainly to test uh, ingredients or equipment that I haven't used before, and I actually find that a lot more stressful.
0: Oh yeah, well that's that's what I'm saying is I think, you know, if- some people, if they're if it's because of boredom, I think they'll find the new element to be the exciting thing. But yeah, you know, if some of it's just that you haven't been able to make the time or, or or whatnot, being able to do something familiar, I think is actually really great just for that reason. It is simpler. It is something that we know how to do.
1: Well, it, it's relaxing to me, you know?
0: Well, and then of course, if as Denny alluded to, some of you don't have your, your brew gear necessarily in condition to brew, maybe it's disassembled or in storage or whatnot. The other thing to do is go brew with someone else. I'm not kidding. Make a, make a collab batch on the homebrew scale. And I, I did this heavily when I first got into homebrewing because I wanted to learn a lot from seeing what other people were doing. And that was very inspirational to me. And I still like to do it because I still like to see what other people are doing and just kind of go, huh? I, I, I never thought of that.
1: Yeah, you can almost always surprise yourself with something you had never even considered when you go brew with somebody else. And that's kind of fun. Right,
0: And then the last thing, no matter what, even if you don't have time to do a full-on brew day, if nothing else, go and tackle a fermentation project. Do a simple one a mead or a cider, you know, something that takes less than an hour. I mean, you can crank out a cider, you know, with prepackaged store juice, assuming it has no uh, preservatives in it. You know, you can go and crank out a cider in the time that it takes for you to sanitize your carboy. And if you want to make a mead, you can make a mead in under an hour, no problem. Yep, that's true. When I used to suffer from really bad insomnia, I used to sometimes put myself to sleep by making a batch of mead. Because I would just wake up, heat up some water, dissolve uh, dissolve a, the honey in a little bit of water, get into a sanitized carboy with some cold water and, and get it going. And just that 30 to 45 minutes worth of physical activity was enough to kind of quiet my brain and tire me out enough to actually go and put me to sleep.
1: <laughs> wow, that's, that's something I would never have thought of. What can I say? Well, when,
0: again, when you're me, you have lots of time to adjust to your uniqueness.
1: Yeah, right, and and for me, making a cider is like a four- or five-hour project because I start by pressing my own apples, but uh, not, not everybody is that crazy either.
0: Yeah, well, not everybody has access to that many fresh apples. So any other comments about brewing or inertia or disappointment in general
1: there, Den- Denny? If you don't feel like brewing, don't brew. But if you really want to brew and you don't feel like it, then some of these things, I think, will really help you get your groove back.
0: Yep, so don't fret it. If you're suffering from you know either burnout or an unwillingness or an inability to get into the brew house, or lack of time, well, that would fall under inability to get into the brew house. Oh uh, yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for waking me up. If you're suffering from those, well, you got some. You got some techniques here. If you if you have other thoughts, please let us know. But remember, just don't be too hard on yourself because the more hard that you are on yourself, the more that you turn this into a big damn deal. Right. And the more you turn into a big damn deal, the more weight you put on it, the less likely you are to go do it. That's right.
1: Keep it fun. Have a great time.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hoped that you enjoyed this exploration of just what the hell is keeping you from brewing. What keeps you from firing up the brew stands? What's worked for you to get you back behind the brew stand? And what hasn't? Let us know. Remember if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at You can reach us at Denny at or Drew at you can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. Don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can go to experimentalbrew.com and click on the brew use code experimental, brewers, friends, Amazon, AHA, or BYO, links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for the next four days
1: is... Not much time left to help us support Nowzad, an organization in Afghanistan that was set up to help soldiers with the animals they found there and help bring them home. So uh, get it together, click that Patreon link, toss a couple bucks to uh, Nowzad, and in a few days we'll be having a new charity. And if you do have ideas for new charities,
0: uh, reach out to us at podcastexperimentalbrew.com. We gladly take suggestions. Until next time, remember to always brew wacky. Or brew experimentally. And the brew is out there.
1: Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband-and-wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.